Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. And today we have Sora and Jonas Kiesler, two of the developers behind their upcoming title known as Germinal. Thanks for joining, you two. Thank you for having us. Hello. Of course. <laughs> I'm very glad you reached out because this game actually looks like a lot of fun and I, I got to play some of the demo and I did enjoy myself. It reminds me of a lot of some of my favorite platformers that are out there. Um, before we talk about the game though, I always like to start these interviews off with talking about the creators themselves. So why don't you both tell us a little bit about yourself, how you started creating games in the first place and how you got to, to Germinal and started working on that. Uh, let's start with uh, uh, Sora. Yeah, hello, I'm Sora. I'm the narrative designer and PR lead of Germinal, and I'm a psychology student in Germany. I actually am not that big a fan of most video games. I just like really like telling oh, stories. No. <laughs> and I play That's okay. some, they need but stories, right? Yes, I play <laughs> some, but um, I don't like just mindlessly playing video games. I like them to have a bit more story behind them or an additional mm -hmm. value or something like that. And I got to play more video games and to create games through my husband because he's an IT student and he mm -hmm. had video game development in his curricul curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so he started developing video games and I just wanted to join to tell stories through a new medium that mm -hmm. engages the viewer of the story or the reader of the story, or in this case, the player, even more than just books or films because you can actually interact with the story and live it at your own pace. And I really like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Is your husband part of the Germinal project or is he working on something different? Uh, yes, he's our project manager. Oh, wow. Oof. Interesting, interesting. Uh, okay, uh, Jonas, how about you? Um, I started developing video games basically from a very young age. Um, I got motivated when my dad just came down the attic with an NES and Super Mario Brothers 3 and we were just playing and I just started scribbling down Mario levels <laughs> onto, <laughs> onto paper in preschool and school and it was just a great time. Um, yeah, I kind of met uh, Sora's husband at university in an actual game design class. We're not, not really a game design class, but we were supposed to get introduced to, to the game development. And that's where it all started off. Like we became, became a team and started developing games for university together. And mm -hmm. yeah, my role in the team is basically like, like I'm a jack of all trades. I'm doing pixel art and game design mainly though. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, it yeah. kind of went from that passion of scribbling down levels to actually putting them into games. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how how big is the team actually? All in all, we are seven people. Okay. Mao is our project, or Jonas is our project leader. So mm-hmm. he's not just the jack of all trades, but he keeps everything together and connects <laughs> us. And uh, we have a composer that's not studying with us, but the rest are all from our city, our university. Wow. Hmm. That's pretty cool. So you, you all met in university other than that, you know, that one individual. And uh, how, how exactly did you get from being, you know, just working on, on these games for like university projects to getting to Germinal where you're more, uh, you know, this seems more like a, a fully fleshed out product and you're like, okay, this is going to be something that we really push to, to try and be, you know, that full-fledged video game. Where did that, how did that go about? So um, the whole project actually started when I realized that I, I'm, I'm a computer science student and I really wanted to go into game development instead of regular software engineering. So mm-hmm. I thought I should make a project that is like good for my portfolio so that I could actually get a job in the industry later on. Right. And um, yeah, I just get, uh, got Sora onto the team. I asked her, well, do you want to write a story for my game? I just wanted to train at that point. And then mm-hmm. more and more people from like our friend circle just joined. Can I, can I join? Can I write code for you? Can I make art? And so the team <laughs> grow and the idea grow and the whole <laughs> game. I mean, it's still kind of a portfolio project as well, but... Right. Yeah, it just grew into this thing we want to put on Steam and, yeah, have fun with. I think we just never knew when to stop our ambitions because we wanted to make a really, really good project as Mm -hmm. a portfolio project. And then we read more and more about the different um, things we have to do to make a good game or to promote our game in my case. And Mm -hmm. if we are already putting so much time into it on the side, then we can make it commercial too right 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 you might as well get something else out of it other than just having a a super sweet portfolio item um i think that makes a lot of sense let's actually dive now into the game itself because you're hard at work at germinal right now and for those who don't know anything about this game how would you describe or you know how would you describe the game why should an excited uh, an audience member be excited about it what is this all about Mm, Germinal is a precision platformer, so it's quite a difficult game. Mm -hmm. And it's about a really current topic, even though we didn't plan that at the start. It's about uh, a medicine student, the main character, developing mysophobia during an epidemic Mm -hmm. and having to maneuver through the changes in his life with his disinfectant jetpack. (laughs) So it kind of combines deep story and mental health issues with Mm. really fun gameplay in my opinion and the opinion of everyone that tested it up until this point Mm -hmm. so we want Mm -hmm. to actually represent the disorder of misophobia fear of germs and infections while Mm. still having a fun game right many indie games that deal with mental health issues just like to make the player suffer through the mental health issue to a a certain degree and Mm -hmm. i think that's adaptional but it's not really what most players want to feel while they're playing a game (laughs) 
games are more an escape from reality and they shouldn't, shouldn't have to make you feel bad to make you empathize with the characters. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, I, I actually wanted to touch upon that that part that you mentioned where it's about uh, it's about sickness, right? It's about this epidemic, but it's a different one. It's not the specific one we're all experienced right now. It's not COVID specifically. So kind of going into this, it seems like you mentioned you had this idea before you know the the pandemic hit um why a game about sickness what is there like a larger message that you wanted to tell specifically with this story or kind of just it, it fit and then you you came up with that cool nifty jetpack mechanic like you know I, i'm always interested to see kind of what came first that that whole the chicken before the egg story of like was it that you had that idea for that that disinfectant jetpack mechanic or you know you kind of fit that in or was it that you always wanted to tell a story about sickness kind of how did that uh, all play out i think both is true actually like we um started out with just flashcards that sora made for us with different uh -huh. topics different like mental conditions because she's a psych major <laughs> so right right so that's kind of her um passion i don't know if you can call it passion but <laughs> it's it's her field of interest and um different mechanics and then we just sat down in like small teams and discussed and then her husband and i came up with an idea of having like this jetpack and you mm -hmm. have to go through a gem-filled mansion or something like a hotel and can't touch the gems and can hover through <laughs> it at that point we already knew that we wanted to make a precision platform and we just thought that would be a cool idea because it's kind of like a little bit like super mario sunshine and a cool movement mechanic mm -hmm. and everything so yeah, yeah. That was kind of how that came together and the whole jam situation kind of led to the fear of jams of the misophobia right right and the setting came when i uh, researched about misophobia and what can cause it one of the things is that many medical professionals suffer from misophobia and the other thing is that epidemics and pandemics can cause misophobia because you get forced into a really stressful situation where you mm -hmm. have to actively avoid getting sick and where you have to think where you have to think about getting sick all the time and avoiding germs and all that and the stress that this causes can lead to misophobia it's not the only cause of course there are other factors but it's um, one of the issues that can lead up to that right yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that because I, I feel like my wife and I are kind of in that, that stage. My wife much more than, than I, but um, from all of this pandemic, there's a lot of times where my wife is is very, and I, I call this, it's, it's not a nice way to do it, but it's like sometimes I call her a basket case because I'm like, you need to relax. Like there's there's just so many things that we have either control of or, or we don't have control of, but she's very to the extreme side of being uh, fearful of, of everything that's out there because you know it, it is a, a stressful time like we don't really know much about this uh, at least we we didn't know as much as we did you know now but like we still don't know much about COVID or, or what's exactly happening and so there's there's a lot of that fear that that ruminates and it's it's almost like a, a form of of like uh, I guess I would attribute it like PTSD of just a just it's such a stressful time that that had occurred that she's almost scarred in a way where a lot of things now become uh just frightening to to 
to deal with things that we normally would have had no uh, no thought of whatsoever from hindering us. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why we stick uh, stick to, stuck to the idea even after COVID became a thing. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. at first we were like, we can't develop a game about misophobia during an epidemic while mm -hmm. a global pandemic is happening. That's just really disrespectful because we just wanted to show the effect that the phobia a phobia can have on your life right and that's something that most people are experiencing right now to a certain degree mm -hmm, so it, mm -hmm. it wouldn't like really actually help anyone to just show how bad it can be and what <laughs> kind of things can be affected but then we thought that we could change a bit at the end of the story and could adjust to the situation so the people that are struggling and that don't know what to do actually can gain something from this game. Right, right. Well, that's that's actually very interesting. I, I like the fact that, you know, because of what's going on in the actual world around you, it, it had to the story had to pivot in certain ways. And I think it does make sense because even though I, I do agree that there is that point of like, okay, we get it, like, there's so much happening, we don't need to be reinforced that, you know, we're going crazy in here. Uh, but at the same time, there is some truth to it. And it makes sense to to actually represent it. Because like, let's take let's take, you know, a, 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 a leap, maybe one to two years in the future, where hopefully this is uh, more under wraps, and we have a good handle on what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, this will be an interesting experience to see, because a lot of people might be going through something like this, and they'll be able to connect and to relate with the the happenings in this game so i think it, it is timely in some regards um but it depends on your perspective and how you're looking at it right yeah i yes. think it was also like important to us to have like an educational factor in it especially mm -hmm. to sora yes because um you can sh just show the experiences of the main character and just let the uh player see those experiences but i think that's not the same thing as actually representing a mental illness in a good way because mm -hmm. most mental illnesses aren't just like one symptom that you can use for a gameplay mechanic or just this one thing just one cause and we wanted to make sure that everybody that plays this game has the um, chance to understand that it's more complex than that there are many causes it's just not just the epidemic that mm -hmm. happens but also the other effects that the epidemic has on his life like um, him losing his internship and surgery and him having to self-isolate and other mm -hmm. things like that people dying that he cares about right yeah it's it's a it's a rough topic right it's it's not something that is uh as happy or go lucky as some might enjoy from from a video game um but i think it is necessary i think it's interesting i i do want to go into the the actual game mechanics but before we do i have one last question and that's more or less and you you've touched upon it already you said in the itch page uh, explaining the game that you uh, one of the descriptions of this game is that you're you're trying to include a respectful representation of mental health topics, and we've clearly talked about that. And you can tell that you have a a, 
a definite passion or you know a, a necessity to bring that uh, that respectful representation. One of the questions that I have is is how are you making sure that you're you're going about that? Are you taking any other precautions like you know trying to work with with people who might be more in the medical field or things like that or, or doing certain research elsewhere? How do you how do you get some of your information for this? Okay, so first off, I researched quite a lot before I even started mm -hmm. uh, making up the setting and stuff like that. So I mm -hmm. looked up blog posts and stuff like that from people who were misophobic. And then when gotcha. we had a bit more to show, I consulted uh, some misophobic people and we have playtesters that are suffering from the disorder. Um, because even though we, for, uh, on one hand, we want to have a respectful representation, Mm -hmm. and want it to be accru accurate on the other right. hand we actually want to have players that are mis misophobic we don't want to exclude them so i wanted yeah. to make sure that it's not triggering or otherwise awkward for the people to play mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so, that makes sense that's great and, to hear and i'm thinking about uh talking to some professionals about it mm -hmm. um but i haven't had the chance to do yet so <laughs> that's okay i mean it sounds like at least you're you're in the right direction you're taking the right steps and and there's still time for that right um mm -hmm. but i am um, glad to hear uh, oh go um, ahead and everything uh, everyone that is uh, someone's in india listening to this and thinking about where can i get resources there are actually quite some um, websites that are specifically dedicated to representing mental illnesses respectfully in media in general, but also in video games. Um, I'm not sure if you could link something like that in the description. I sure can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would uh, send you the stuff afterwards. <laughs> of course. Perfect. No, that's that's awesome because I mean, I'd love to know them just in general because I've, I've done a couple of interviews with, with um, you know, indie devs who are working on topics that are of this nature and I usually ask these type of questions just because you know we want to make sure that that you're representing it in the right way and not just getting kind of like a well this is probably what they would feel like right you know we yeah. uh, I did an interview with uh, the two main developers bef uh, behind I believe the title was before I forget which was a, a game that was very oh. heavily based on schizophrenia Mm -hmm. And and they they did you know the whole talking to a lot of experts in the field, talking to people who had it, and and doing a lot of the same things that you're doing to make sure that this game is is both a good representation for people who don't have that specific um, type of uh, of uh, uh, ailment, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, and it's also something where for those who have it, they aren't you know triggered by it. They aren't. Uh, misrepresented in any way um so i I'm, I'm glad to hear it uh i will definitely keep those in the show notes uh let's actually jump now though into the mechanics of the game and a little bit more about what you're actually doing so the first thing that comes to mind when i played the demo is definitely platformers like celeste you you can tell that uh there's certain inspiration from that game and i i don't mean that in like a bad way i think that you took the game and with that jetpack mechanic have a really good twist to make it your own um, but where other than, you know, that, and maybe I'm just stretching and, and putting words in your mouth, but where did the team draw inspiration from when designing the game as far as the, the gameplay mechanics come? Um, so obviously Celeste is a huge inspiration, as you've already said. Um, but also uh, Super Mario Sunshine is a very big inspiration because you have like flood and can just um, roam around with that through the air. 
<laughs> and um, also like the the double jump is a little bit inspired. Like it's a little bit of a mix between like the um, what is it called? Like the rocket nozzle from Flood, where you can just mm-hmm, jump mm-hmm. up, and also like it's kind of the dash to the hover nozzle and just regular double jump in that regard. Also the whole right. cleaning stuff is also um, taken from that. But I think like the whole um, game is also influenced by older platformers like Super Mario World because mm-hmm. I used to be um, a Super Mario World modder for a few years, like oh, years okay. ago. So um, I think the whole like feel of the mechanics, like how, how high you can jump, how far you can jump and the whole gravity and everything is um, influenced by that quite a bit. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, I can definitely see that. Uh, I, I mean, I love games like that, so I'm, I'm excited. And I already, like I said, got a chance to actually check out the demo, which I think that a lot of the, the actual platforming to it was pretty precise. And uh, I'm very happy to see what more levels look like and what it looks like when more difficulty gets scaled into this. Um, when it comes to mechanics, though, the main one you see from the demo is is that jetpack. You know, platforms that that move based on your movement, germs that will defeat you if you touch them. What are what are some other types of obstacles or abilities? What can we expect to see in the many levels to come? Um, we have planned like five stages in general. Like the demo includes the first stage, and it's mm-hmm. like divided into three sub stages. We call them sections. And, um, yeah, so as you've said, the mechanic of that one is just mainly the pillows that just move. And Mm -hmm. um, there aren't really other mechanics for the player themselves, uh, for the player character itself, because um, we wanted to confine it to, like, the core mechanics and really test them in combination with other mechanics, like the pillows. Um, And in stage two, for example, we, we got, like, bubbles that bounce you. Once you like through the air when you touch them and um, give you like a second jump, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, those are like a pretty cool mechanic. There are some that can refill your stuff and combined with uh, these mechanics, like you can do quite a lot of stuff. Like you also have to dodge the bubbles at some points. Right. Um, then we have like germs that spawn when you touch the ground. But we also um, have some mechanics where we like take away the jetpack from the player to test uh-huh. like to test like their core platforming skills completely. Right. So Very, I always uh... think that's like a fun thing to do. And that and there comes the Super Mario Sunshine influence, uh, again, yep. where you get like <laughs> the the little bonus areas where they take away flood from you. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually just going to mention it very, very heavily inspired from that. But I think it makes sense because I think you get so used to that mechanic. And then when it's taken away, you're like, oh, man, what do I do? And it's a totally different game, right? Because you don't have that one. You know, I I think it's it's a great way to say we're not going to give the actual player so many mechanics because we want you to master this one. And then when you rip it away and you're like, whoop totally different uh you know play style i think it i think it's jarring at first but it's it's an interesting uh element to keep things fresh right um so i i definitely i definitely think that that's uh something that people can look forward to yeah it's just it's just kind of hard to just balance it so that it doesn't get frustrating yeah. for the player <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I like imagine. i i want my mechanics back like you need to find <laughs> that point where they actually want to get them back and then give them to them so that they don't get bored or 
like frustrated because yeah the like the key feature is gone (laughs) (laughs) it's uh yeah it's a it's a tough challenge uh but i'm sure you'll figure it out um speaking of levels so it's mentioned that there's actually over 300 levels in this and I, i i believe you're you're referencing screens so levels as in like the 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 different jump challenge or something to get to the next screen um in in this realm you mentioned and this was one of my questions was basically the the traveling through the main character's house it seemed like that was one stage as as you kind of referred to it um but how many different areas so i know there's five what are those different areas going to look like is this mostly going to be different rooms of the house or are we actually exploring out into like the world and going to different uh you know uh different environments what is this uh going to look like for you playing the game Mm, we decided to keep the main part of the game the five stages in the house Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. one of the big things about mesophobia and um, epidemics and for us in the pandemic is that you have to stay um, in your house that you are confined mm-hmm. to one area but mm-hmm. at the same time the different rooms of the house will have different looks to them so in stage two it's mostly going to be about the kitchen and the bathroom and those are gonna have a different feeling than greg's room and the living room for example right and I- we wanted to keep it strict uh, distinction between inside the house and outside like in the prologue and the epilogue yeah yeah i wanted to i wanted to talk about that a little bit because it's an interesting direction when you're outside in the world everything seems normal right everything seems very uh like you would expect it to look there's normal buildings normal little areas when you get in the house it's more it's more abstract from an art style a, a lot of things aren't as uh it's kind of hard to describe but but basically it's it's not that it's it's very uh insane to look at but it's not what you would uh, assume is a normal house but there's much more exaggerated items that are around that you're kind of floating to on this jetpack you know so you're floating on like these giant pillows that are moving around things like that w- what was the reasoning behind the art style taking this this uh you know a little bit stranger approach as to maybe showing it where it might just look like a normal room like why take that approach versus uh versus another um there are actually two reasons for that one reason will be revealed once you finish the game so i'm not going to talk about that one all right but the distinction is very uh we decided to for that because we had something else in mind the second reason is that it's again trying to represent mesophobia Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. When I first started reading about it, there were many descriptions about certain objects and what a big impact they have, like Hmm. phones or um, doorknobs or other things that tend to be more germ-filled, quote-unquote, and how much emphasis people with mysophobia tend to put, or at least the persons that wrote this blog i don't want to talk uh, to talk about every person with mysophobia i don't want to generalize it but that person and a few others um, had a really big focus on certain things because Hmm. those things were really scary to them and i wanted to represent that in the art style i i I don't i'm not the artist but i 
Uh, right, right. Yeah, I am part of the artist team. I'm like the <laughs> artist lead as well. And um, yeah, she came to me with the idea of having like a, more of the abstract representation of what um, myth mythophobics actually see when they um, go through rooms. Mm -hmm. And so we try to capture more of a surreal vision than the actual, right. like, real-life representation. But yeah, I think later in the game, it's getting a little bit more obvious when we might switch a little bit between <laughs> So yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be looking forward to the answer to that uh, once I actually get my hands on this game. So let's let's dive into a, a different question then. Obviously, difficulty is a factor, uh, especially when you talk about, you know, these very precise platformers. How long do you anticipate this will take, uh, you know, someone to complete in, in, in average? Uh... That's really hard to predict <laughs> because I, I, I've had playtesters zooming through the first stage in 20 minutes and I had people taking like one and a half hour in the first stage. Right. So, so yeah, I think for the first stage, it's usually like a 50 minutes in okay. average. Um, the other stages are obviously longer and more difficult. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, on a first playthrough, depending on your skill level, well, on average, I'd say at least six hours, eight hours. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, I guess it's it's a hard question to to answer because everyone's going to play this a little bit differently. Um, I guess more or less, it's more of a question for where do you feel uh, it would probably stick uh, in general. So six to eight hours is, I still think, uh, a good amount of playtime, right? And I, it really depends because for me, I think it took probably thirty minutes for the demo. Um, but granted maybe you know someone might be good at the first stage and then the minute you start getting a little bit more difficult they might start having more trouble with it you know you start adding more mechanics it might take longer who knows yeah right? i mean it also depends on like whether you're just rushing through it or looking right. for all the secrets because that's like one of the things that what's quite important to me that like the stages are packed full of different like routes and rooms where you can find secrets and everything right Right. I'm actually glad you brought that up because that's my next question is <laughs> there there seem to be these extra collectibles, right? There's these like, I, I believe they're pills, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you're collecting these different these different pieces. There's different ways to go to get to seemingly the same, you know, end result of the, the exit of the level. But when we're talking about these, are these something that you'll you'll collect to get maybe a, a, a different ending? Maybe you'll collect to get something that you can unlock in between these stages? Or is this more or less just to give the players an extra challenge if they're looking for it? Um, we haven't completely decided whether we want to uh, like unlock, like I don't know, trophies or something. Right, <laughs> or right. Yet, um, we played with the thought of it at least. Um, at the moment, they're mostly just for the people who seek the challenge of finding them. They give you gotcha. like a short reward of like changing the color of your fuel, mm -hmm. um, which is purely aesthetic. But we thought it might be like cool to have different colors of it, and if you collect them all, you might get a rainbow effect or something on it. Oh, nice! Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, and they're yeah, tight the... oh, pods, not pills. Yeah, they're like tight pods, but not, not actually tight pods. <laughs> they're just just like these tabs to like change the color of your jetpack fluid gotcha okay <laughs> good to know yeah i wasn't i wasn't 100 percent sure what i was picking up but i was like i feel like i need these <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, that's awesome. So let's talk. Let's talk about you know this game actually coming out, right? Let's talk about a game release. I'm sure you can't give me an exact date, and I know you are still actually working on this, and this isn't like something that's going to be ready tomorrow. But do you have you know a, a game plan, so to speak? Do you have a specific release window of what you guys are planning to try and hit, or do you have more or less a you might be um, more ready to reveal that at a certain time. You know, how is development going in general? Well, currently, uh, we set it for summer next mm-hmm. year, but um, I think that's still flexible as in right. how much polishing it needs. Like, we don't want to release an unpolished product in the end. So, yeah. Right. And um, we're right. thinking about releasing the content of the demo a second time, but with added speedrunner features because we want to target speedrunners specifically um, yeah um, because there are two things to the game there's the narrative that is captivating and that should get players and then there's the gameplay which is just really fun which Mm -hmm. might be interesting for speedrunners so we plan on releasing a second demo before we release the full game gotcha okay very cool. Yeah, this uh, this game definitely screams, especially with a lot of platformers. You generally have that. It, it screams a game that could be a good, uh, you know, speedrunning specific game. And I, I love watching these type of games getting, uh, in, in lack of a better term, broken, so to speak, where people just rush through it because it's it's always impressive to see what people can can come up with and people can do things that like I look at it and I'm like I would never be able to do this uh and so it's it's always interesting to see so i'm glad that you're you're keeping that in mind because i think that some some developers they they go kind of maybe it's not against it but they they just don't really think about the you know that community that's playing into their game and i'm always like i feel i feel like it's such a missed opportunity right because you you get such a rallying behind it from either that community who wants to speed run it or the people who want to watch it because it's always interesting to see a game be done in a way that that most people would never get to that point of of you know expertise. Yeah, I think speedrunners are an important part of our target audience. So we like try to focus on that in our level design and other design choices we make. Uh, for the demo currently, there isn't like much to see for speedrunners, which is like why we want to release another one. Mm-hmm. specifically targeted at them because currently you can't skip cutscenes. Like mm-hmm. we also mm-hmm. like implemented some speedrunner mechanics, some more hidden mechanics that give more give more depth to the mechanics, which mm-hmm. aren't in the demo yet. <laughs> um, okay, okay. And yeah, like all sorts of features like we wanted to implement like our plan is to implement um a speedrunner menu in the options where speedrunners can like customize stuff. So that's yeah super um, convenient for them. Um, Another thing that we would like to include is accessibility options because we want to target as many people as possible and make our game accessible to as many people as possible and with many features it's not that hard to implement them and they can mean a lot to the people that couldn't otherwise play the game. Um, just to dive into that a little bit, what type of accessibility options are you thinking of? Like the first thing that comes to my mind is is with platformers that are very hard. This uh, I, I don't know that I could say it would be an easy one, but the first thing that comes to mind is having like a jetpack that doesn't run out of fuel. Yeah, that's one of them. We also have like 
the option that you can't die in it. That you can like do infinite double jumps. They can slow down the time. Like it's it's kind of like Celeste's assist mode, I'd say. But we mm -hmm. also want to add like if we have the time and expertise to do it. Um, we also want to add stuff like contrast and mm -hmm. brightness and stuff like that for people who have um, vision vision issues. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um... The, the last question I have uh, before we wrap this up is uh, just where we would be able to actually play this game then. Where, where are the main uh, areas that you're planning on releasing? I, I know specifically Steam, but depending on you know the popularity or how this goes, are you planning on any different consoles or, or specific areas for, for the game's release or just focused on, on computer for now? Uh, for now, it's just in Steam and Itch. Okay. But... Um... It all depends on how much money we make with it and how much right. uh, how yeah. um, popular it is. Then we'd be open to release it on Switch. I think it's a perfect fit for the Switch, yeah, um, or on other consoles as well. Yeah. All right. I think that makes sense. Uh, so I'm uh, very appreciative of both of you coming and hanging out, talking about your game. I'm definitely excited to see what this becomes and I wish you both the best. But before we wrap this up, I always like to end these interviews with one final question. So I'll, I'll stick with Sora first and then we'll, we'll go to Jonas. Um, I always like hearing the advice from those that are in the indie space. For those listening who might be interested in, you know, starting their own project, just getting into the game space, uh, what tips would you want to give them? What tips would you want to say, hey, this helped me or this is something that I did that I, I think makes sense? Or maybe even something you didn't do, but you wish you had done. Uh, Sora, why don't you kick it off? Okay, for me, it's two things. The first thing is that I think everybody has a place in the, in the deaf community. I wanted to join uh, the others in developing games for years, but I didn't try to do it because I thought like, well, I'm not a computer science student. I don't, I can't code. I'm a girl and all the other are boys and it's gonna be weird <laughs> and stuff like that. And that's absolutely not the case. The mm -hmm. more I see of the indie dev community, the more I can say that regardless of who you are, how old you are, your gender, everything, there will be a place for you. And you just have to take the courage uh, and do it. It's not that hard. It's not that scary as I thought it would be. <laughs> I love it. And the second thing is that the people are actually nice to you on the internet. I was really scared because I do the PR thing and have to interact with other people and I'm actually really shy on the internet. <laughs> so that was like a really big leap to me not having any social media myself and then managing the social media for our game. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the people actually want to help you in our community. The NDDF community is really open and welcoming and supporting and if you have problems, you can just ask people. That's mm -hmm. not something I knew beforehand. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 definitely the internet is a, a scary and can be a terrible place at times. But I think I think one thing that I have learned is is kind of on that same point is a, a lot of indie devs are very much uh, building a community 
around each other. I always love to see this is because, you know, as I keep doing these interviews with different developers and different individuals who are all around uh, creating on, you know, their, their passion projects or whatever it might be. It's interesting because I'm, I'm meeting and connecting with all these different individuals and I keep seeing all of them kind of promoting each other's work, right? It's like this small circle of everyone trying to push each other to, to, succeed um which is is super uh, exciting to see and it's it's very different from a lot of the places that that are that are out there so i do think that you know there's obviously some bad eggs and and certain uh individuals who probably ruin it for the others and and there's always that that idea of a lot of the times it's it's the person who is the loudest is not the majority uh so i think that you just to your point have to kind of be willing to to kind of put yourself on the line and 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 take that leap of faith because there's a lot of people who are going to accept you and a lot of people who are going to help out but you have to actually take that leap of faith okay so for me it's yeah just make games basically i was (laughs) i was yeah yeah it's it's so simple but just keep on making games even if it's just a small prototype just make more of them and eventually mm-hmm. you'll grow as a developer and also um i always like avoided becoming a game dev because i thought it's not a valid job nobody's gonna see you as working mm. and <laughs> because because i was a computer scientist student and i was like yeah i need to work and as a regular software engineer mm. because working as an indie dev isn't gonna get you any money and you're not gonna get any appreciation your parents are gonna think you're a failure just just scrap all of that just scrap (laughs) just scrap all of that and (laughs) and develop games do what you like so that you can eventually end up in a job you like right yeah um it's (laughs) it's tough right I think, I think especially, you know, it's, it's getting more normalized. Um, but, but obviously years ago, it, it was even worse of, of people looking at, at this, this industry, this, you know, as a profession, a lot of people kind of look down upon it. And I think it's becoming more normalized, but it's still a, a very risky profession to be in. Um, but that being said, I, I think it does make sense that sometimes if this is what you're really passionate, you just need to go about it. And I'm glad you did because otherwise we wouldn't have uh, the game that we're going to in hopefully a, a year or so. We'll see. Um, that being said, thank you so much, both of you, for joining. For those listening, Germinal is currently in development, but you can go ahead and check out the demo of the game by joining their Discord server, which will be sure to uh, we'll, we'll be sure to link in the episode description. Um, so that anyone who's interested can go in, hang out in their community. Um, and if any of this sounded interesting to you, I definitely recommend it because I enjoyed this game a lot. I am definitely a a platformer uh, enthusiast. Uh, so for those who, who love platformers, you should really check it out. Once again, thank you both so much for joining today. It was a pleasure to have both of you. Thanks for having us.